Orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. Hello, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. For those of you that are new here, the Breaching Extinction podcast explores the plight of the endangered southern resident killer whales through interviews with the people trying to save them. There are currently less than 80 southern resident killer whales left, and they are currently threatened by lack of prey, vessel noise, and water toxins. All these factors impact one another and play a significant role in their population decline. They have historically spent much of their time in the Salish Sea. However, they've been seen less and less likely forced out of their home by lack of prey as well as busy and toxic waters. I'm your host, Erica Wirth, and I decided to start this podcast in 2019 after spending a summer working in the Salish Sea and learning about these animals. Each week, I dive into a new conversation with guests from varying perspectives. I approach these topics through an interdisciplinary lens in hopes of uncovering the intricacies of this complex issue. Through this, I hope to share insight as well as fit the puzzle pieces together needed to save this species. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in being featured on the podcast or sponsoring us, please reach out over Instagram at Breaching Extinction or send an email to info at breachingextinction.com. Thanks. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. I hope everybody had a wonderful week. This week, I'm here with Maddie and Liam, my typical porpoiseode co-hosts. However, we are here to do a full episode today because we were going to make this a porpoiseode, and then we were like, this is going to probably be too long. Um, Try to limit our porpoiseodes to like 15 to 30 minutes max, and I just really don't feel like this is going to get covered in that amount of time. So we are here. How's everybody doing today? I'm doing well. Arizona's cold and rainy, but I went to the aquarium in Arizona yesterday and it was really fun. I still need my coffee, but it is nice. It is, it is, it is cold, but it's snowy right where I am. Gross. Ew, snow. Oh boy. (laughs) I hate snow. I can't. It was 36 degrees <laughs> in my house the other morning. It was literally oh my gosh. So cold. I have my little fireplace, but it's also been cold and rainy here. Like, we've probably gotten, like, the first day I know, because we have a little wheelbarrow outside, and it had, like, four inches of rain in it, so we think we got, like, four inches of rain. Um, Actually, maybe not, because there's a little bit of wheelbarrow. Um, okay, but, you know, I, if we were recording, I would... I would definitely hand you hand you off, Erica. Tomorrow, had we not been recording, you know, I'd love for you to get into uh, get into a rant about snow because I think my mom would agree with all of it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's gross. I mean, I grew up in Ohio, like been there, done that, over it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but it's been cold and rainy here. Lots of rain. Um, Peaches needs a raincoat. I feel like. It's exhausting to be hurt. Yeah. It's hard. Oh, like a little raincoat. Yeah. Don't Uh, you want to ask me what the favorite animal I saw at the aquarium was? Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you. What's your favorite animal that you saw at the aquarium? 
Thank you for your um, excitement and enthusiasm towards that. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of an American paddlefish, but it was so fucking rad. They like are freshwater fish and the uh, Scottsdale Aquarium has this like huge tank, like I don't know, like many millions of gallons, maybe thousands, I'm not sure. But the, but I love them because I'm looking at them and they are just like the weirdest looking fish. Like you can Google what they look like. They have a big old long paddle nose, but they ram filter feed like anchovies. Oh and God. so they were swimming around with their mouths <laughs> open. They look like little basking sharks with like big paddle noses. I I I have so many videos of them. Uh, I was obsessed. I felt like a little child, like kneeling down by their tank and just watching them ram filter feed. It was amazing. Of course. I'm so glad you found that. Also, like I have to say that anytime that someone talks about something feeding with its mouth open, or I see a mola with its mouth open, I just think of that song by Cupcake where she's like, <laughs> she's like mouth wide open like I was at the dentist. That's what I think. I thought you were going to say you think of me, uh, and I was so disappointed. <laughs> I mean, of course I think of you, but I also, that song just started immediately playing in my head, and it's so inappropriate. Um, yeah, I yeah I haven't heard that song, but I will now have to go listen to it. I can't, I, I can't say the name on the podcast because the name of the song is inappropriate. Oh, okay. Well, fair. Yeah, but I'll send it to you. I think our podcast is pretty inappropriate in general. Can I just say what it's called? Yeah. It's called Deep Throat by Cupcake. Oh, cute. <laughs> inappropriate. It's I don't know why, but like sometimes I'll just say the most like unhinged things like on the podcast with like just don't care. And then other times I'm like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't say that. Sometimes I check myself. Yeah, well, it's good to check yourself sometimes, but I think the unhinged stuff is the uh, more entertaining content. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People love it. People love it. Um, amazing. So we are here to discuss a recent paper that caught my eye because of the title. Um, <laughs> and we did just do a poor episode about uh, whale popular culture, and I feel like this title fits into that. Um, Maddie is going to tell us about this paper. Uh, but do you care to share the title with us first? Yeah, and I actually, I, I really love the title. Like, I think it's so clever when scientists put pop culture in their um, scientific literature. Okay, so here's the title. The title of this paper is Fifty Shades of Grey. The first leucistic <laughs> bottlenose dolphin Tersiops truncatus sighting off the Cedar Keys, Florida, Gulf of Mexico written by Gasta and Russell came out in 2022. Oh my God, I just, <laughs> I also love when pop culture meets science, but like this one. Maybe, of all the titles. It's just like, it's just, it's a little bit much. It's like, it, and this would come out of Florida. Like there's no other state that this could have come out of. Like maybe like, no, only Florida. I was like, maybe Alabama. Only Florida. Only Florida. Yeah. Only yeah, Florida. I agree. <laughs> when Erica and, shared yeah. this paper with us, I was just like, she was like, who allowed this? And I was like, I, I, I love titles like this because they're catchy. And I think the researchers are clever to include a title like that. I mean, yeah, it's funny that the reviewers did allow it. Maybe the reviewers were older and don't know what Fifty Shades of Grey is. Yeah. But, um, 
yeah, it, it, it is a paper. It came out in well, <laughs> the journal. The journal is aquatic mammals, I believe. Um, but yeah, I have a little dissemination of it whenever. Yeah. So, so tell us, Maddie, give us a little dissemination of this article. Okay. Because I love reading research papers. So when Erica sent this, I immediately read it. It's a pretty short paper and it's mostly like, um, like it's a, yeah, it's a really short, quick paper on this kind of like opportunistic observation. These scientists came across while they were doing their, um, like, uh, how do I say like they're, um, they already are going out doing photo identification studies of these dolphins and they came across this leucistic bottlenose dolphin. So let me, let me get into it and I think that'll make more sense. Perfect. So, um, yeah, like I said, the paper reports on the first documented sighting of an, I, I struggle with this word, anomalously colored adult female bottlenose dolphin in the Northeastern Gulf of Mexico, which I will probably call the GOM going forward. Um, like I said, it was published in the Journal of Aquatic Mammals and it came out this year. Let's see, so it's written by Stephanie Gazda and Mackenzie Russell and their respective institutions are the University of Florida and the Dolphin Island Sea Lab, which I've not spent much time on that in that part of the United States. So I don't know, Erica is Dolphin Island, I think is like off Alabama or something. I don't know if you've heard of it. I ha actually haven't heard of that, actually. Actually, I have not <laughs> heard of that. Well, yeah, so, okay. Well, it's over there by Florida anyway. Um, and it's on, yeah, I'll get more into the study area, but Western coast of Florida. And the report is funded by the Cedar Key Dolphin Project, which is an organization dedicated to discovery, collaboration, and conservation of the dolphins of Cedar Key and the surrounding nature coast of Florida. So I guess I should just tell us where Cedar Key is. Yeah. Um, Cedar Key Islands are in Florida and they comprise five major islands, numerous smaller islands and wetland areas. And they are connected. The wetland areas are connected to the mainland off the Northwest coast of Florida. So you can look that up on a map. Um, but basically there's these keys. The paper also shows like a map of it, but like, if you think of the Western coast of Florida, it's kind of like the North Western part. There's a bunch of keys there. And I guess, there's a resident population of bottlenose dolphins that are pretty well studied by this group called the Cedar Key Dolphin Project. They go out and they do their um, photo ID uh, surveys. And Erica, it made me think of like what you did at Moat Marine Lab with those like, um, they're like regularly scheduled surveys and they go out and they photo ID these dolphins to study their population and, and behaviors and stuff like that. So um, some of the keynotes from this paper that I noticed or some of the like main points they make are that the documentation of leucistic marine mammals is rare in scientific literature. Erica in a bit is gonna give us the definitions of what leucism is uh, compared to albinism, melanism, amelanism, stuff like that. Um, but basically like they're anomalously colored animals. So they're not the same color as the rest of their species. Um, and in scientific literature, it's really documented. However, they are, these animals become very popular in like media and local news so it's not like they're not there um but this paper was able to come out and kind of be this first report because it's like rarely documented scientifically and so 
They described the first sighting of a leucistic bottlenose dolphin in the northeastern GOM, Gulf of Mexico, and this dolphin was brown to tan in color, and it was found nursing a normally colored calf, so its baby was not leucistic, mm. um, which is interesting because the paper goes on to talk about some of the genetics. Um, and then one other thing they report on from the paper that I thought was interesting is that there was this man who lived in Steinhatchee, Florida. I guess he died in 2004, I think. Um, but he, oh no, 2014, he died in 2014. But he was a longtime resident of Florida. He lived in this place called Steinhatchee. And he, during his lifetime, captured at least two, likely three dolphins that he identified as albino. However, they were most likely leucistic because they pictures of it show like, and Erica will tell us, but albino animals will have red eyes. Um, so he captured these, uh, what he called albino dolphins, mm -hmm. northwest off of the Cedar Keys. And he um, did this prior to the Marine Mammal Protection Act, obviously, because you can't just go out and capture dolphins now. So don't do that. Um, but that was something that they talk about in the paper is these um, dolphins that he captured from the same area. Cause the paper is reporting on this like first official documentation of a leucistic dolphin in this area, which is the Northeastern Gulf of Mexico. Um, but way back when, when Mr. Nevin Stewart was alive, um, there are reports of these sort of brown to tan colored um, dolphins that were captured. I see Erica's text of peaches right now. Well, I just needed you to know. I wasn't trying to interrupt the meeting, but I needed you to see how cute she was. I understand. I understand. I, my text tone is like annoying, so I had to turn it off. And don't worry, I, I'm timing myself, everyone, because I know I um, can sometimes just go off on the facts. I mean, it's fine. This is not a poor episode where we have like a super strict, like, well, not that that's super strict. All this is a made-up project, so nothing... Erica was just sick of my mola facts, uh, like, a week ago. I wasn't so. sick of your mola facts, but I just was like, this is why, okay, this is why we were making this a regular episode and not a poor episode, because <laughs> you like to go off, which I love, and I don't want to, I don't want to stop that, Um, but I just, you know... Like we're just we're just gonna make it a full episode. That's all. Sometimes we're just fountains of information, and we can't shut up. I, I I joke with Erica and Liam. You two, we have the gift of gab. The gift of gab. Yes. So, the gift of gab. I've never even heard of that. Well, you have it, Liam, because you're on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let me continue here. Um, that. <laughs> so okay. So some other things they report on in this particular paper, the Fifty Shades of Grey paper. Again, that title is just pretty good. Um, <laughs> so they refer back to a 2019 paper by Olson and Allen, and I'm sure we'll uh, provide all this information. So if you want to go source check us, go for it. Um, but this paper came out by Olson and Allen that they're referring to in 2019, because they basically did a little bit of a review to um, see where animals that have leucism have been reported in the scientific literature. So they found that this 2019 paper found only 114 reports of leucism in animals in the class mammalia. So mammals, but they're, that's all mammals, not just marine mammals. So then further, uh, there was another paper by Fertile and Russell 2018, which reported 33 documentations of atypically white marine mammals. 
And then Hauser, David et al. 2020 found that there are only 14 reports of leucism in five dolphin species worldwide. And this was in a review of dolphin literature from 1929 to 2019. So this paper, the 50 Shades of Grey paper that we're talking about um, is like the first documentation of a leucistic bottlenose dolphin in the Gulf of Mexico. So this was a pretty specific finding. Um, they also talk about how anomalously colored marine mammals are often met with wide public attention, which I think we'll talk more about because of their rarity. People like rare things, people like white dolphins, I, I guess. Um, and with that wide public attention, it's often posted in local news and media. So it gets a lot of attention, but these news and media reports, while they are documented, they're not typically published in scientific literature. Um, for example, the papers that I was just mentioning above, like the, that have all those reports of leucism, they didn't include news articles in their reviews. And so that could be another reason why these report, reported numbers of leucistic animals are so low. Um, because I guess, I mean, they may be more common than we know. It's just not like, it's just not usually reported um, in literature. It's reported more in news and media outlets. Um, another thing they talk about in the 50 Shades of Grey paper is because they wanted to know, or they were kind of reviewing where we've seen leucistic animals in this area of the Gulf of Mexico. And so going back to Mr. Nevin Stewart, he, um, one of the dolphins he captured, this was in 1964, was sold to Marineland, Florida, and it was a five-year-old adult female dolphin, five years old, and they called her Lily. She lived in Marineland, Florida until her death in 2009, and they at the time thought she was albino, but going back and looking at pictures, she's more likely leucistic because she didn't have red hued eyes and her skin was light tan in color, which indicates the presence of some pigment producing melanin. Um, so not a true albino. She was known as the blonde or champagne dolphin because of her light colored eyes and she was dubbed Lily Champagne. I looked up pictures of her, maybe we can include on her Instagram or something. Um, but she was so cute. She was so pretty. Um, she is very blonde champagne color. Uh, in 1969, Stewart captured a similarly colored male bottlenose dolphin to be a companion to Lily, but they never had offspring. This was interesting because given that these two animals were of the same coloration and from the same area of the Gulf of Mexico, it's possible that they were genetically re related and it is known that in the wild, bottlenose dolphins will rarely associate with their sons while they're reproductionally receptive to reduce inbreeding. Hmm. Um, and so while at the time Stuart thought he was like giving a, you know, like a breeding partner to Lily, most likely they were related because they have the same coloration. And it's thought that leucism is attributed to like some genetic defect or mutation. Um no genetic studies were ever done on Lily Champagne or her companion though. So we really don't know. The paper does go into a little bit of it, the methods it uses for photo ID. Mm. You can look those up, but it's very credible. I know we've had episodes where we've talked about what is considered research and what is not, but this group only spent about 30 minutes with the group. So not six hours with a group of killer whales, you know, they were, um, hanging out with this group of dolphins and, and doing their photo ID survey. 
when opportunistically they came across this group um, and these researchers are from the Cedar Key Dolphin Project. They encountered this group of dolphins that included the suspected leucistic individual. Um, so you can find their methods like specifically described in Gosta et al. 2005. They are briefly described in this paper. Um, but quickly, I will just go over their main results here, what they found from their survey. So in their survey, there were 17 individuals in the group of dolphins, including two calves. The water was pretty clear, so they were able to sex five of the individuals. They were all female. The rest of the individuals' sex was not known. They were able to positively ID 15 out of the 17 dolphins. They didn't get clear enough images for two of the dolphins, so 15 out of 17 were ID'd. They assigned the leucistic individual the number code MNOS. I guess they have their own photo ID um, catalog, and that's how they catalog them. So MNOS is our subject. And five of the non-CAF individuals were considered residents and the other 10 were considered transients and had only been seen during this sighting. This included MNOS. Mm -hmm. The group was traveling, would occasionally forage and socialize, and they were tightly associated with most group members within one adult body length of each other during traveling. Like I said, the group was observed for 30 minutes and during that time, MNOS was observed nursing a normally colored calf. Um, so basically you can go and read the paper if you want to kind of come, uh, you know, come up with your own conclusions, but they just talk about in their conclusion that we don't know much about this abnormal coloration. It can be attributed to genetics, so it also can be caused by pollution, systemic infection, scarring, or other etiological factors. Um, coloration patterns and species are thought to arise from a selective advantage, such as predator avoidance. But these dolphins, they see if it was an adult nursing a calf, so really there's no selective disadvantage to being this color, so it seems. So anyway, more research is needed, but that's my brief summary of the Fifty Shades of Grey. Are you laughing because I said brief? Yeah. <laughs> okay, screw you. I recorded myself. That was only 12 minutes. <laughs> but yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey, the first leucistic bottlenose dolphin, Tercyops truncatus sighting off the Cedar Keys, Florida, Gulf of Mexico, Goss and Russell 2022. Uh -huh. There's your I just... You're my best friend. I have to laugh at you. Roasting <laughs> is one of my love languages. Um, and it's just <laughs> like 12 minutes. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> True. Okay. Whatever. Whatever. No, it's great. I love it. It's beautiful. Like, I love to hear you go off. I learned so many things. I just have to, as your best friend, give you shit. There's no way around that. Um, and I love it. So. Yeah. So there. <laughs> feel loved. Um, yeah, so Maddie did touch a bit on, um, you know, different types of things that could happen in the wild. I mean, there are a wide variety of things, a wide variety of conditions um, that can cause either partial or full loss of pigmentation in the animals. Um, so there's three main ones that I know of, and then one more specific one that we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, and I'm not going to go on for 12 minutes, so sorry to disappoint um, everyone else. But yeah, so we talked about leucism. So essentially that is the partial loss of pigmentation um, that makes the uh, skin either white, pale, or patchy. Um, and it's just the reduction of pigment. It doesn't have anything to do with melanin. 
Um, but albinism and amelanism are two other conditions that do have to do with um, melanin. So amelanism is the complete lack of pigmentation. So um, if you see something that's amelanistic, it's probably going to be super duper white. Um, what is that noise? Sorry, I just got distracted. Um, and then um, albinism is a congenital disorder that's characterized by the complete lack of pigmentation or partial lack of pigmentation. Um, and also typically like the main thing that you're going to see in albinism is that you're going to have those red eyes. Um, all of these are genetic conditions. Um, the best way to test for them to like confirm is to do like a DNA sample um, to figure it out. But um, that's a, a very simplified version of explaining what all these things are. Um, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about Ann Butcher, um, how I pronounce this because I'm just, I already know I'm going to pronounce it wrong. But there is a, um, white killer whale, uh, transient um, killer whale that um, has been observed in California, British Columbia, um, or like along the West Coast. Um, we've seen killer whales that, um, or like white killer whales observed in like Alaska, Russia, and Japan. Um, and they can range from like Maddie said, like a kind of a cream tan color. The killer whales is creamy yellow to silver gray. Um, but there's something called Chidiak Higashi syndrome. So I am sure that I mispronounced that. Um, and I got this information from the post that Northern Naturalist did. Um, so there was one whale that was captured in British Columbia named Chimo who had this syndrome. It's a condition that causes partial albinism, um, which I kind of wonder if that like, how that fits into like amelanism. I'm curious and I don't know. Um, it causes immune problems and reduces the lifespan. Um, and there's another gray whale um, that's been seen called Frosty. He's um, presumed to be a California transient, um, but he's been seen and they're suggesting that it's possible that he may have this. Um, there, uh, her post says that the cause of gray killer whales in the Eastern, Eastern North Pacific probably differs from the yellow whales in the Western North Pacific. Um, and she talks about the yellow whales um, are more so like the albino whales. Um, their scarring and pigmentation, or their scarring is more visible due to light and pigmentation. Um, they have been documented reaching adulthood, so presumably it doesn't cause any health issues. Um, and, you know, she talks about what is a true albino whale, it's a, or killer whale, it's a creamy yellow coloration. Um, and these yellow killer whales may be true albinos. Um, she says there's a relatively high occurrence that may be linked to inbreeding. One out of every thousand killer whales in the Western North Pacific is white, which I feel like that's really high. And that kind of goes back to what Maddie was saying of like, you know, we have these documents, you know, or, or news articles or things like that, but we could not be like, you know, it's possible that not everything's being documented. I know you talked about like, you know, white marine mammals throughout the coast. And it makes me wonder if Casper, um, who is some sort of white Rizzo's dolphin, um, if he was included in that count. Um, I think there's definitely like more albinism or like amelanistic or leucistic animals than we think. Um, 
you know, again, I think it's just like marine mammals are hard to study. People aren't out there tracking them. And there's also like, um, you know, the, when there's a lack of funding, frankly, and I feel like, you know, when there's like real issues to solve, not real issues, like it's, it's harder for scientists to have the resources, you know, to study something that's, you know, maybe more fun or interesting when, you know, we could be studying like how toxic the Southern residents are. There's more pressing issues. Yes. Can I share a fun fact? I see your little hand raised in Zoom. I love it. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, just because I can't shut up. And okay. At the aquarium yesterday, I came across this fun fact about leucism. And I was like, oh my God, I want to share this on the podcast because that's what we're talking about. So I'm just going to read this little information panel. Yes. It was really cool. It's titled Different is Beautiful. Did you know? In rare situations, American alligators are born white. Less than 25 of these have been found, all in the great state of Louisiana, and all are males. White alligators have a genetic condition called leucism. Mm -hmm. Leucistic animals have some skin, skin pigmentation, skin freckles, and their eyes are a dazzling blue. Albino animals lack all pigmentation in their skin and eyes, and that is why their eyes are pink. So I just thought that was interesting, and it shows a really cute picture of a fully white American alligator with blue eyes, and I just, I get why they're popular in media and news, because they are just really cool to look at. So it's not just marine mammals that have, I mean, I think all animals can have leucism. It's just, it's just a rare condition, and so this leucistic alligator was really cute. They didn't have one at the aquarium, but... Apparently it's a thing. Apparently it's a thing. Yeah. Um, a lot of people like suggest that um, Casper, the dolphin, there's a Rizzo's dolphin. And of course there's like whale politics. Like people like get mad <laughs> and they like fight over like, if is it leucistic or amelanistic or albino? So um, emotional. I kind of feel like it's amelanistic. That's my guess but also like I don't really care if I'm wrong but people yeah they get really emotional and like upset about like what what color are Casper's eyes um from the photos that I've seen they don't look red um but then there's also people that are like there's never been photos of his eyes so I I think he's a melanistic um but he could be cystic I don't know um oftentimes on the tours we will just say albino because a lot of people know what that means. Not everybody knows what a melanistic or leucistic means. And like, you can definitely get into conversations with that with the passengers of like, okay, like what are the potential options? But not everyone cares. Um, I've learned like the people whose dad just like got drunk along, you know, we're like, that's an albino whale. And then you can go talk to the kid who's like really into dolphins and be like, oh my God. Yeah. But um, anyways, so there's some debate on what is like, you know, why that whale is white or that dolphin is white. So yeah, so that's Casper. And I think Liam has some other whales because I it just grabs the attention of the public. I mean, whales and dolphins are already like that charismatic megafauna, but then when you add something weird to it, people get really interested. Um, so lots of people come out and they look for Casper and they ask about Casper and they're like, have you seen him? I'm like, no, sometimes. <laughs> He feels he's like a ghost. That. Yeah, he's a ghost. Um, we did see him on Halloween. That was kind of fun. That was cool. Um, yeah, but Liam, I think it's gonna jump in more to like different whales that we have seen in like popular culture. 
Yeah. So, um, so some of the ones that uh, is that we that we've seen because a lot of um, a lot of the only times that we've really been able to see um, and kind of quote unquote study white killer whales were most were mostly um, through instances where marine parks would capture them, and uh, and a, and a one of, and one of those another uh, another white orca that was um, that was uh, used to be up here in the Pacific Northwest that people used to be very aware of was a, um, was a transient whale named Chimo, uh, T4. And she was captured, I think, in 19, some, at some point in 1970. And uh, she performed for two years before she died. And uh, they think she died of some kind of um, some issue with her immune system, which unfortunately um, whales with, um, whether it be amelanistic or albinism, that seems to be a, tra- a, a common phenomenon is that they would die from some complications related to health, as we saw with, um, I think, I think her, I think the, the, the last whale, the last transient whale to die that was either albino or amelanistic was to look and they think, uh, they think he or she died from some some health issues because apparently she had issues during birth but anyway so there's that there's to look who was in the transients there was casper there's um chimo which a lot of people in the pacific northwest got acquainted to because of the marine park industry i think it was Sealand of the pacific was it called and then there was another sighting in uh in uh in i think like the northeast part of russia and it was and there, I don't know if I don't know if it's still around. I don't know if this whale has died or whatever. Um, but that, yeah, that's another one. And of course, it's not limited to orcas. There was a harbor porpoise that was seen in in um, in Scotland a while back that appeared to be um, that appeared to be very white. Um, I don't know if it counts as albino. Is thick. Um, I'm looking at the eyes of it and the dorsal fin, and there appears to still be black, so it might fall into the amylus category. And then there was also uh, Migaloo, uh, which was um, an Aust- which is an Australia um, humpback whale, I believe. That's uh, that, and so and funny enough, the name Migaloo means uh, white fella, and uh, I think Migaloo was first spotted in uh, 1991. So yeah, it doesn't, you know, whether the um what I'm sorry, what's the what's the species name for the filter? What's the filter feeder's scientific name, Erica? Do you remember? For the oh like a baleen whale? Yeah, baleen. Yeah. So so albinism isn't limited to just um uh, to just, you know, odontocetes or uh, or baleen whales. Um and then we have the famous Moby Dick, of course, which was a um which was a uh, book that was written by uh, author Herman Melville. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was like in 1850 it was written. And uh, it was about a white sperm whale that sunk the, these uh, whalers that were trying to hunt it. And, um, and the whalers basically were just being tormented by this whale for three days on end uh, before it was uh, before they were eventually uh, rescued. I'm not sure if they actually ended up killing the whale. I can't, I don't know for sure. I'd have to, I have to read up on the summary again. Um, but yeah, and that one, uh, that, that book 
people believe was loosely based on the real incident of the Essex. Now, the Essex was a whaling ship that was sunk when they collided with a uh, with the sperm whale or the sperm whale collided with the whale. Um, I'm not sure if it's not known for sure if the whale was actually uh, being aggressive toward them, but basically um, the sperm whale caved the the bow end, uh, the Essex sunk, and uh, the crew that survived were stranded for a couple of days, and they basically had to um, they had to uh, eat um, other members of the crew to survive uh, whenever they died, which is a European tradition, I shall point out. And um, yeah, before they were rescued, so yeah, those are a couple examples of some of the uh, of white whales that. Uh, that we uh, that we see in media, and yeah, it's always I think it's uh, those white whales just because of how rare they are. There, it's always a um, it's always a spectacle, and I think it always captures um, our our imaginations. Like, whoa, my goodness, it's a white whale, and you know, because yeah, and uh, it, but you know, knowing us usually if we see something we either try we try to exploit it as much as possible which is why our first response were to either kill these things or capture them um but yeah now it's not so um now it's not so often that we see um well it, i mean it was never often that we see um you know white whales uh in the wild or in captivity um just because usually it doesn't seem like they last very long. Um, I think the article, the Fifty Shades of Grey article, does go a little bit into depth about this. How there are, it is possible that there are some complications with it. You know, it, seems, it appears to be some sign of potential inbreeding. Um, but yeah, that's that's about it for uh, for whale, for uh, white whales that uh, we've seen um in our media and that we're used to again moby dick probably being the most famous one of them all nice thank you for that i can see your little hand up yeah i just um wanted to add on to what liam said about moby dick because i think that is like the most famous white whale right and uh uh you can find on wikipedia that moby dick was based on a real white sperm whale called Mocha Dick. And this was a male sperm whale that lived in the Pacific Ocean in the early 19th century. It died in 1838 and it was encountered in the waters near Mocha Island, which is off the central coast of Chile. Um, and I just think it's so cool. So this whale was described as, and this was like, oh, there's yeah, really, that's right. yeah, there's real accounts of this whale. And so, and that's where Herman Melville got inspired to write his book, Moby Dick, but um, Mocha Dick, I just think it's funny how they named these whales, but he was described as an old bull whale of prodigious size and strength, white as wool. <laughs> and that was in 1838. So I just think that's really yeah, that cool. Sounds, fun fact of history. That sounds like an early 19th century way of describing it. Yep, yep. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. Really interesting. Um, I have often wondered if there is any sort of like social like repercussions for albinism or like these amelanistic things in, you know, group, like, you know, fission fusion societies or in pods or things like that, because, you know, a lot of these animals are hunted by other animals. I wonder if it makes them more visible to other animals, who knows? Um, 
but that's always something that I've wondered when I've seen like these albino animals out in the wild of if it has, you know, indirect um, impacts on their longevity. That's yeah, curious. The article, the ahead, article that I was reading, uh, sorry. I said, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just gonna, to, just to say that, um, that uh, it, when people were studying, studying uh, Migaloo, the uh, white humpback whale in uh, Australia, it, it didn't seem like that the albinism actually, or, or amelanism actually um, affected his ability to survive fine food or, or socialize. And that's, and that's from this article that I'm reading. It says that uh, Migaloo seems to be in good condition, has been consistently for the last 25 years, there's no evidence that his albinism affects his ability to survive, find food, or socialize with his fellow humpbacks. So I think, you know, whales being the amazing things that they are, they probably, or souls that they are, they probably don't care what shape he is. <laughs> well, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like from a survival, like more maybe primal. Maybe probably. Like it may be like, okay, stay away from this one because, you know whatever um like because like it could it could make you stand out or who knows like we don't even know maybe they like maybe they can't even tell um but yeah I don't I just think there's so many things with whales that we don't know and like even if we've studied it like we just we never really truly know that's what I think yeah yeah and you know it probably you know it may not affect uh Migaloo it may not affect humpback whales that much but you know it's probably affects other species of animals that suffer that um that have it you know because this is a this isn't something that's just limited to whales like a lot of other species have it too like it it yeah. can be found in seals it can be found in bears in which case yeah it probably does it may it may impact their ability to either hide from predators or catch prey yeah for sure well this was definitely an interesting topic. Does anybody have any final thoughts? Oh, of course I have one. Uh, yeah, Maddie, go. Of course. You may you may hear my dogs in the background. Sorry. Um, just what to wrap up what you guys were just saying too about the um, you know, if their their white color has any like negative effect, which we obviously don't know. That Fifty Shades of Gray paper did comment on how marine cetacean uh, i guess cetaceans are marine but cetaceans have counter shading as like their camouflage a lot of marine animals do and so i just wanted to comment and say that you know if you're albino or leucistic you don't have that like camouflage um of counter shading so that could be because like the reason that marine animals are counter shaded is because it's selectively advantageous like you said liam to avoid predators or to hide and be able to catch prey better so that would be my only thought as why being, you know, like anomalously colored uh, would be negative because, you know, you're less able to hide or less able to catch prey using camouflage. So I don't know. That was covered in the paper. So I just wanted to add that on there. Okay. Yeah. I guess it, yeah, it would probably mean then, yeah, uh, they would have to, uh, that whales with albinism might have to rely, at least in the case of, you know, in orcas, they may have to rely more on other, uh, more of the members to help provide for them, I guess, just because yeah. sometimes it might not be as easy to catch uh, prey. Yes. 
All right. Well, thank you guys both for being here and thanks for sharing your info. We'll be sure to link everything um, in the episode description. If you guys have topics um, that you need to, or that you would like us to discuss, let us know, send us an email, reach out on Instagram, whatever, totally fine. Let us know what you thought of the episode, Um, but have a good week, everybody. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you. Bye.